There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Intercepted. I'm Murtaza Hussein. This is a special crossover episode with our sister podcast, Deconstructed. It's a big investigation I did with my colleague, Ryan Grimm. Thanks for listening. I'm Ryan Grimm. Welcome to Deconstructed. And I'm Murtaza Hossein. In the past year, widespread demonstrations have rocked Pakistan as supporters of former Prime Minister Imran Khan continue to rally in his support. Last year, Khan was ousted after a no-confidence vote in the Pakistani parliament. As people have taken to the streets in support of Khan, the military has engaged in widespread repression, leading to what many are calling the most serious political crisis in Pakistani history. Khan and his supporters have said that the U.S. State Department supported and even encouraged his ousting last year. Khan has been pointing to a secret Pakistani intelligence document as proof of the U.S.'s role in the crisis. No one had access to it. Until now. Ryan and I were provided the document by an anonymous source in the Pakistani military, who said that they had no ties to Imran Khan or Khan's party. Before we jump into it, some developments have taken place since we recorded this conversation. Earlier this month, Khan was arrested and sentenced to three years in prison on corruption charges. Khan's defenders dismissed the charges as baseless. The sentence also blocks Khan, Pakistan's most popular politician, from contesting elections expected in Pakistan later this year. Ryan and I discussed the developments in Pakistan, the U.S.'s role in the crisis, and the document that we obtained. So, Maz, what we have today is a story about U.S. interference in the internal politics of Pakistan. Can you help us understand the context of how the U.S. has related to Pakistan over the years? So, for a period of several decades, almost dating back to the existence of Pakistan in the 40s, the United States has been almost effectively part of the ruling compact of the Pakistani government. There's a saying in Pakistan, which is somewhat humorous, somewhat serious, that the country rests on three pillars, three A's, they call it, army, Allah, and America. And the meaning behind the saying is that uh, America's say and America's role in Pakistani politics is considered determinative or at least extremely influential by pretty much all the powerful power brokers in Pakistani society. And for those who don't know, Pakistan, since its creation, the military has taken a very disproportionate role in governing the country. They've removed civilian leaders, they've engineered the rise of certain civilian leaders, they've even executed prime ministers who fall afoul of them at times. So the Pakistani military continues to play this sort of shadowy role behind the scenes Sometimes they govern directly, but more often they use civilian puppets to govern. And their own perspective on Pakistani politics is very, very much shaped by what America thinks. America has been a strategic relationship, an economic relationship, a political relationship uh, for the Pakistani military and its leaders. And they take very, very strongly their cues from what America thinks uh, is acceptable for Pakistani government. Now, Imran Khan was elected 
a few years ago on a basis of a very populist candidacy. And at the time, though he had the support of the military, much of his public persona was based on, if not anti-Americanism, certainly asserting greater independence from America and Pakistani domestic and foreign policy. And in office, he made many comments to the effect that we want to have a relationship with the U.S., but we want to be more independent. And he's not exactly someone who's subtle. He would phrase it sometimes, we're not your slaves, and, <laughs> and things like that. So this obviously was antagonistic to the U.S. at some point. And Imran Khan and the Pakistani military eventually fell out. And today he's in the opposition fighting to come back to power. He's still an extremely popular prime minister in Pakistan, but he's on the outskirts. And this issue of his relationship with the U.S., and the U.S.'s relationship with the Pakistani army is very, very much at the core of the tension which is currently racking Pakistan. And speaking of that blunt talk, you know, there was a crucial interview he gave with uh, Jonathan Swan. Will you allow the American government to have CIA here in Pakistan uh, to conduct cross-border counterterrorism missions against al-Qaeda, ISIS, or the Taliban? Absolutely not. There's no way we're going to Seriously? allow any basis, uh, any sort of action from Pakistani territory uh, into Afghanistan. Absolutely not. So there you have Imran Khan in the wake of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan with a very undiplomatic uh, and direct uh, rejection of uh, a request that hadn't actually been made publicly, uh, but was, was raised by uh, Jonathan Swan. And our understanding is that in Washington, you know, that was taken to be a huge offense. Not not just that he was going to make this rejection, but that he was going to do it so publicly, and that it was going to undermine, you know, Biden's kind of post withdrawal strategy. He kept talking about over the horizon. We're still going to be able to have influence in Afghanistan. So we're going to be over the horizon. The way you're going to be over the horizon is to be in Pakistan. And now here's Imran Khan uh, saying, actually, no, you're not going to be in Pakistan. How did the kind of military establishment react to that? And what's your understanding of how the U.S. responded to that? So it's very important to note that a lot of Imran Khan's initial popularity came from opposition to this issue of drone strikes in Pakistani territory that were taking place during the height of the war on terror. These drone strikes carried out by the U.S. were taking place with the permission of the Pakistani military, but they were extremely unpopular in, amongst the public for pretty understandable reasons. There were civilians being killed. It, it was a violation of Pakistani sovereignty. It, it became a cash cow, the U.S. military for the Pakistani military. And the U.S. government for the Pakistani military became a cash cow during that time. So they had very strong incentives to allow this to happen, irrespective of threats to sovereignty or civilian casualties and things like that. Uh, it was their own, the military's own interest to allow it to go forward. And Imran Khan tapped into the popular discontent over this. And he went from someone who was uh, just to that point, not a politician. He was just a private citizen, mostly known for his philanthropy and his cricketing career, to becoming a political figure in Pakistani society. So that issue of drone strikes is very, very core to his own emergence in the first place. So it's not surprising that he would you know, state very strongly that in office, you know, he's not going to allow that to continue under his own tenure. But the problem is the Pakistani military is always looking for ways to make itself useful to the United States. You know, to the tune of billions of dollars, they managed to cash in on the war on terror. And with the end of the war in Afghanistan, the U.S. has obviously less interest in the region. But one of the ways that Pakistan can help or can be seen as strategic partner, or the military can be seen as strategic partner, 
is allowing these over-the-horizon strikes to take place so that the U.S. can continue con conducting counterterrorism operations in Afghanistan without presence on the ground in the country. So his rejection so forthrightly and bluntly of this request in a very relatively undiplomatic way certainly antagonized the U.S. military or the U.S. government. You can imagine it did. There's also a very interesting and important article which is published in the New York Times last year by a Pakistani-American political analyst named Arif Rafiq. And he mentioned very closely that, this was before Khan was moved from power, he mentioned that based on you know analysis and discussions, the Pakistani military is very uncomfortable with Imran Khan's anti-American streak or his rejection of U.S. overtures and requests and so forth. And they're afraid that Pakistan will get cornered into its relationship with China without another pole to balance. And it was not that long thereafter that Imran Khan was removed from power. So there were clearly rumblings of discontent surfacing more and more over his stance on this issue, which is very uncompromising and very popular with the Pakistani public, which, as I mentioned, was not in favor of these drone strikes at all. But the implications for the U.S.-Pakistan relationship, and by extension the U.S., the Pakistani military, uh, would be very dire if that relationship were to end or be scaled back to its bare bones. Yeah, and I, I interviewed Imran Khan in early June, and uh, just real briefly, here's what he had to say about that particular question and the relationship to the Taliban as well. I think my opposition to the war on terror also was perceived as being anti-American, which is not. It's just being nationalistic about your own country. And with Taliban, I mean, when the Taliban took over, frankly, whichever government is in Afghanistan, Pakistan has to have good relationship with them. We have a two and a half thousand kilometer border with them. We have three million Afghan refugees here. And when the Ghani government, before that, I went to Afghanistan, uh, Kabul to meet him. I invited him to Pakistan. We tried our best to have good relationship with them. So whoever is in power in Afghanistan, Pakistan has to have good relationship because at one point, during the previous government, there were three different terrorist groups using Afghan territory to attack Pakistan. The ISIL, Pakistani Taliban, and the Baloch uh, Libera Liberation Organization. Three different groups were attacking us. So therefore, you need a government in Afghanistan which, which would be helpful. So it was not pro-Taliban. It's basically pro-Pakistan as any, anyone who cares about his country would, would make those decisions. Okay, so that's mid-2021. So fast forward to February 2022. Russia invades Ukraine. Russia invades Ukraine just as Imran Khan is in the air on the way to Moscow for a bilateral meeting with Putin. Maz, pick it up from there. Yeah, so the timing was very inauspicious. And according to Imran Khan himself and figures in his government, it wasn't planned. They weren't aware of it. But Imran Khan arrived in Moscow on the eve of the beginning of the Ukraine war. And certainly the image that portrayed of himself or the Pakistani government endorsing tacitly or implicitly the invasion was very antagonizing to the U.S. and to the U.S. government. So, you know, in the days and weeks after, you know, Imran Khan denied that he'd been aware of it. He denied that he endorsed the war, but he also didn't exactly condemn it either. He tried to stake a position of neutrality on the conflict. And again, he said it in his characteristic way. He said at a public rally that I'm not going to condemn Putin at other people's requests and referring to the United States and Europe because we're not your slaves, as he put it. And at the time, the stakes were being raised very, very highly. This position 
you know, understandably irk people in the Pakistani military and I'm sure in the U.S. government as well, too. At that time, the army chief was a man named Qasem Bajwa, and he gave an address not long after Imran Khan's speech where he made that statement, and he condemned the invasion very strongly. He condemned Putin and the impact on Ukrainian civilians and so forth, and shortly thereafter, Khan was removed from power. So clearly, there was a very short series of events where Khan is in Moscow. He has a public break in his position between himself and the powerful army chief, and then he's removed from power. And that brings us to an issue which is at the center of what's going on right now, which is this issue of a diplomatic cable or an intelligence cable from the Pakistani government, Pakistani military intelligence, which seems to outline a conversation between the Pakistani ambassador at the time to the United States and a State Department official named Donald Liu, where Mr. Liu states pretty clearly America's opposition to Pakistan's neutral stance and attributes that stance to Imran Khan himself and expresses what seems very strongly, if not encouragement, at least a green light for any opposition moves within Pakistan, whether by the military, uh, civilian opposition parties, or some combination thereof, to remove them from power. And that letter and that cable has been at the center of Pakistani politics and the controversy that's engulfed it since Khan has been removed. And so this is March 6th that this uh, lunch meeting occurs between the outgoing Pakistani ambassador uh, and Donald Liu, also Deputy Assistant Secretary of State. Uh, Les Vigory was also there according to the notes that made it into this document, uh, which which we've obtained. So we can read a few of these quotes and then I'll I'll get your reaction to the, the diplomatic speak. Although when it comes to kind of diplomatic language, this doesn't leave a whole lot of room kind of for interpretation. Uh, so in one section of it here, the, the ambassador says, uh, I asked Don Liu, if the reason for a strong U.S. reaction was Pakistan's abstention in the voting in the U.N. General Assembly, Pakistan had not voted you know, to condemn. Uh, he categorically replied in the negative and said that it was due to the prime minister's visit to Moscow. He said that, quote, this is Don Liu, according to this document, I think if the no confidence vote against the prime minister succeeds, all will be forgiven in Washington because the Russia visit is being looked at as a decision by the prime minister. Otherwise, I think it will be tough going ahead. So what is this no confidence vote that he's referring to there? So at the time, there were rumblings within Pakistan that the opposition, civilian opposition in tandem with the military may organize a no confidence vote against Khan, which would remove him from power. And Lou seemed to be aware of these discussions prior to this conversation, and his direct allusion to it, a reference to it, and directly attributing this issue which he's unhappy about, which is Pakistan's neutrality in the war, to the Prime Minister Khan himself, was pretty direct in terms of, if not ordering something to happen, I don't, I don't think you can say it did that, but it certainly evinced a very clear U.S. position that they'd view this with approval and they would view it as something which would be good for their bilateral relationship, which, as I mentioned earlier, is extremely important to the Pakistani military. And if, if I may, I'd also like to read another excerpt of this document as well. After this kind of back and forth, the Pakistani ambassador to the U.S. expresses, as per the document, his hope that this issue of the Ukraine war and Pakistani neutrality would not harm the two countries' bilateral relationship. And Lou was quoted as replying to that, I would argue that it has already created a dent in the relationship from our perspective. Let us wait for a few days to see whether the political situation changes. 
which would mean that we would not have a big disagreement about this issue and the dent would go away very quickly. Otherwise, we will have to confront this issue head on and decide how to manage it. So he's pretty directly saying that if you don't change the political situation, and he'd already referred to the no confidence vote in the prime minister, it's going to harm the U.S.-Pakistan bilateral relationship. And if something happens which, where things do change, that problem, that harm could go away, and even the damage already done could go away. So, you know, it goes as pretty close as you can get to encouragement and certainly permission and a green light, you could say, mm-hmm. to removing Imran Khan. Because as you remember, he's a democratically elected prime minister, and whether you like him or not, he was elected by people, and he maintains a very strong popular base in Pakistani society. So the expression of an opinion, a very strident opinion on the proper configuration of Pakistan's domestic politics by a U.S. diplomat is quite antagonizing potentially to Pakistani politicians, to Khan himself certainly, and many to many of his supporters. So to see that in the cable was quite jarring. And in the their own assessment of the cable, which is already include, also included in the cable document itself, the Pakistani side clearly is alarmed by what's been said. And they take umbrage to what seems to be intervention, interference in their own domestic political affairs. And, and Lou also seems to be uh, intervening on behalf of the Europeans as well. I'll just read from uh, one part here. The ambassador writes, he paused and then said, quote, I cannot tell how this will be seen by Europe, but I suspect their reaction will be similar, unquote. He then said that, quote, honestly, I think isolation of the prime minister will become very strong from Europe and the United States. So not only is Pakistan being threatened to have its bilateral relations with the United States cut off if Imran Khan remains in power, but the EU, uh, which is now in this you know, climactic confrontation with Russia, that we're just two weeks into this fight, they're being told that Europe also is, is going to isolate Pakistan. That would be very dire for Pakistan if that threat were carried out because Pakistan has pretty bad relations with all its immediate neighbors, has bad relations with Afghanistan pre and post Taliban, to be honest. India, obviously. And Iran, also its relationships are not very fruitful and often tense. Its relationships with the West, with the US and the European Union are very, very important in the United Kingdom. And the Pakistani military, despite its difficulties and its conflicts with the U.S. over the past 20 years related to the war on terror and the war in Afghanistan, is still a very pro-American institution, a pro-Western institution. It's very anxious that its ties with Western countries should be good. So this statement by Lou is almost threatening its worst nightmares, that if you don't solve this problem, which is being specifically said as the prime minister himself, you're not going to have these relationships which you depend on, or you'll be isolated, you'll be in a very difficult situation. And because of the manner in which Pakistan's political economy has developed over many, many years, where the military has such an outsized role, it's really warped the way the economy is structured. The military obviously runs a lot of businesses. They're the biggest real estate holder in Pakistan. And they've set up the system such that they require you know, external patrons. They require a cash cow to continue feeding money into the system, which after set up in a very warped way for their own benefit, will not function well on its own. They lose their privileges. They'd have to completely reform the economy. Uh, there'd be a lot of jarring changes. But if they can keep that money flowing, they can continue the system. They can continue being the biggest business, you know, conglomerate in the country as well, too, without a uh, need for economic reform. So it's very, very important to them, not just strategically, but economically in a very, very basic level that they keep this not be isolated, that they keep good ties 
and find a way to remain useful to the United States and to Europe as well. So this threat seemed to be quite quite extreme, or this, this suggestion of isolation is quite extreme from their perspective. And you can see after Khan was removed, the changes that did take place. It's pretty well known now that Pakistan is a supplier, a significant supplier of uh, military hardware and ammunition to Ukraine. Pakistani military is a major supplier of these uh, components, like artillery shells and hardware. And they start turning up in Ukrainian battlefields, or Russian and Ukrainian battlefields. And the Ukrainian foreign minister was in Pakistan recently. It's very clear that Pakistan has taken a position which is no longer neutral in this conflict. They're leaning towards the West in this conflict as much as they can without alienating Russia. And that's a concrete change which is observable from before and after Khan's tenure Mm -hmm. and was at the core of Lou's grievances when they had that meeting. And you can see how powerfully this threat landed in the way that the ambassador responds. You can also see the shape of the power dynamic, you know, come into really sharp relief in the way that he starts pleading his case in such a poignant way. He writes in the memo, I stressed that when the prime minister was flying to Moscow, Russian invasion of Ukraine had not started and there was still hope for a peaceful resolution. I also pointed out that leaders of European countries were also traveling to Moscow around the same time. Don interjected that, quote, those visits were specifically for seeking resolution of the Ukraine standoff while the prime minister's visit was for bilateral economic reasons. I drew his attention to the fact that the prime minister clearly regretted the situation while being in Moscow and had hoped for diplomacy to work. The prime minister's visit, I stressed, was purely in the bilateral context and should not be seen either as a condemnation or endorsement of Russia's actions against Ukraine. I said that our position is dictated by our desire to keep the channels of communication with all sides open. Our subsequent statements at the UN and by our spokesperson spelled that out clearly. And he goes on and on, really trying to just get across to to Lou and then to the United States that, you know, please do not make good on these threats that you're making. Uh, but as as you said, toward the end of it, he do, he does not feel like he uh, accomplished that at all. We could read that this is the ambassador's kind of very short analysis of, of this long meeting. He said, Don could not have conveyed such a strong démarche without the express approval of the White House, to which he referred repeatedly. Clearly, Don spoke out of turn on Pakistan's internal political process. We need to seriously reflect on this and consider making an appropriate démarche to the U.S. in Islamabad. So the Pakistani ambassador took it as out of turn, as as something that is just beyond the, the normal kind of push and pull of diplomacy. But the fact that this document was created and then gets sent back uh, to Pakistan sends the U.S. wishes and or sends the U.S. message not just to Imran Khan, and there's some questions question about when he was, was able to see this uh, document, but also, and you can talk about this a little bit, who else would have seen this dispatch once the ambassador wrote it up and sent it back to Pakistan? Yeah, that's right. And it's so curious in some ways because the person he's delivering this message to technically is serving in Imran Khan's government. But the government in Pakistan is so, the, the way power is organized is so opaque and so penetrated by the military intelligence services who take a very active role in domestic policy and control several aspects of policy making that this message cannot, ine- but inevitably go back to them as well too, or perhaps even to them primarily. And 
while it doesn't, I don't think it gives a direct order, as I said, to remove Khan to any particular party, it certainly would cause divisions or give a green light to people within the government who already wanted to remove him, or people within the ruling compact, which includes the military and intelligence services, who wanted to move against him, and want to know that they have America's approval to do that. I would say this does not even give just approval, it would probably give you know a positive encouragement, if anything, that it would lose statements as conveyed back through this channel to various factions within Pakistan would make clear that Imran Khan can go and if he goes the US will not object and will probably give us some award for doing that too as well or reward us with a renewed relationship or a reinvigorated relationship so it's not but it's a very unambiguous message and Khan obviously himself caught the message as well too and he was very public talking about this this note uh, there's reports that he discussed it at a National Security Council meeting in Pakistan where, you know, various factions of the government condemned it. But yet they did move forward. It seems like they moved forward specifically with said, which is the vote of no confidence, which removed him from power. And thereafter, we do see a, you know, a renewal of the U.S.-Pakistan relationship, particularly on military terms, which we're seeing in recent days, including when Michael Eric Carrilla, the U.S. head of CENTCOM, was in Pakistan discussing U.S.-Pakistan collaboration with the head of the Pakistani military and in their statement about this meeting mentioned nothing to do with democracy or uh, the current political crisis in Pakistan relating to Khan. It was pretty much focused on a bilateral military to military relationship between the U.S. and Pakistani military, which seems to be what the military itself in Pakistan wants. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And let's talk about the journey of this this document, uh, this, this cipher, as it's called in Pakistan, which really took on a, a legend of its own. And up until uh, we published it has been the subject of extraordinary controversy and, and speculation with, for a long time, people saying that it, it, you know, it, it didn't exist, that Khan was making it up. So Imran Khan in late March of 2022 kind of took a piece of paper and waved it around at a rally. This is before he'd been officially ousted, saying that the U.S. was, you know, trying to push him out of power. Later, you know, he named uh, Don Liu as the specific he called him an undersecretary, he's assistant secretary, uh, as the specific uh, State Department official who, you know, gave gave the you know instructions or the guidance or whatever you'd want to call it. From there, he was pushed out, and the State Department uh, has strenuously, repeatedly, vehemently, and you know, recently with mockery, dismissed any of the allegations that that Khan has made. 
Are you going to disclose we, those documents? We are, we are really going down a rabbit hole here, I think. We've spoken to this before. I don't believe it does. I will just continue to reiterate uh, that those claims are not accurate. So the cipher was fake, basically? I, I don't know how many times I can respond to this question from the podium and, and give the same answer, which is that these uh, allegations, such as they are, are completely unfounded. And do you know that for the sedition charges that the interior minister is levying on the former prime minister, the minimum death sentence is death sentence. Like the minimum punishment is death sentence. I, 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 I will take your word for it. So former prime minister who is a national hero and who has huge following in the U.S., who earns millions of dollars for his cancer hospital, the U.S. is going to let him uh, be charged on sedition, which is something related to the U.S.? Why doesn't the U.S. help out to resolving this whole issue? I will say, as I have said before, that the U.S. does not involve itself with domestic political questions, and we do not take uh, us, uh, sides on uh, political parties in Pakistan or any other country. So today, the former uh, foreign minister of Pakistan, while speaking to media after a month of detention and back and forth, he also came out and he said the cipher was reality, the U.S. <laughs> officials was giving a demarche. So now you have a former prime minister, uh, former prime minister, the military chiefs were sitting. So is the responsibility going on President Biden wanting to change the regime in Pakistan or the secretary? I mean, one somebody has to take at least. Uh I feel like I need to bring uh, just a sign that I can hold up in response to this question to say that that, that allegation is not true. I don't know how many times I can say it. I will say, as I've said before, that the United States does not have a position on one political candidate or party versus another in Pakistan or in any other country. But the prime minister, the new prime minister, eventually did acknowledge that this document existed and that it was, that it did represent behavior by uh, Don Liu that Pakistan found to be troubling, but was nowhere near what uh, Khan was alleging. And so where where is this this cipher now in the kind of annals of Pakistani politics? Well, the thing with the cipher is that what, what Khan was describing for many, many months the, as the contents of the cipher seemed to very tie very closely into his own depiction of American over-involvement in Pakistani domestic politics. And as I said earlier, much of his own campaign originally and his popularity was based on asserting greater Pakistani independence from what is perceived as American meddling in their own internal affairs and sub subversion of Pakistani democracy. So having a cable which actually shows a U.S. government official seemingly ordering his dismissal would put an exclamation mark on that entire his entire political career, I would say. Now, the cable itself has become the subject of lots conspiracy, speculation, a lot of dismissal. But a lot of this isn't based on the fact that no one's really sure how to characterize what's in there. As you mentioned, even the current government exists, acknowledges the cable exists, acknowledges there are things in there which are troubling. But because no one's ever seen it in context, we have to rely on various different, very interested parties depiction of what's in there. And Khan is certainly an interested party. His supporters are interested parties in this. The opposition has likewise an equal interest in what's framing this document. But having the actual document itself has not been a luxury anyone's had to this point, so they can decide for themselves. I think that when you look at the document in context, it kind of falls somewhere in between. And I would say that it doesn't show the U.S. government ordering Khan's removal, as he suggested at times, 
but it certainly gives indication that the U.S. would not look poorly upon his removal and would even give it a green light and an endorsement in the sense that if the Pakistani military and the opposition moved ahead with taking care of him, the U.S. would smile upon that. And certainly because of this dependent relationship that many of these parties have developed with the U.S., pleasing the U.S. and being in their good books is very, very important to them. So I would say it stops short of the most extreme characterization, but certainly shows a heavy degree of interference in Pakistani politics. And if I were to do a counterfactual where such a document or meeting took place where the U.S. State Department official said that if you remove the sitting prime minister before elections, that's going to harm our relationship and we don't take a particular view of your own domestic politics, which is something that the U.S. officials are now claiming in public that they is their official position on Pakistan. If they said that in private, it's hard to imagine the military and the opposition would have moved ahead with removing Khan from power because they didn't want to do anything to this day which may antagonize their relationship with the U.S. government and the U.S. military. So I think that given Pakistani history and given the very well-documented history of interference by the military, the Pakistani military and the U.S. government in electoral and political affairs in Pakistan, you can see this document as providing pretty solid evidence that the U.S. was involved in what happened here to some degree, and to a degree which I'm sure warped the course of Pakistani politics and towards the current chaos we're seeing today. Yeah, and what I would add to that is there's not just, hey, if if you resolve the political situation that would be, you know, then things will go back to normal and that would be good. There's not only that kind of gentle encouragement, and I put gentle in quotes, given the power imbalance, but there's also the reverse where he does say, if you do not do this, then we need to come back and we're going to have to, quote, take this head on. Like, we don't know what he means by take this head on, but it doesn't sound pleasant. And he's also saying, if you don't do this, and if Europe and the United States decide that this policy is not just Imran Khan's, but is the entire policy of the Pakistani government, then you're going to be isolated. And so the fact that, that he hits both chords, like, if you do this, we're happy. If you do not do it, we are unhappy, doesn't leave a whole lot to the imagination. So I have a hard time kind of blaming Khan for spinning it up into a slightly higher rhetoric uh, than, than it actually was. Certainly, if you're the person that they're referring to, I could imagine how, how that cipher is, is, uh, is understood. Yeah, I think his characterization is not unfair. It's clearly, as you said, Lude used not just carrots, but sticks as well. He used both of them to say what would happen if you do what we say and what happens if you don't do what we say. Uh, you don't have to leave. He uses diplomatic language to some degree, but it's not really even that diplomatic. And, <laughs> it's not you know, an important thing to, to know here, <laughs> right, right. And an important thing to know here as well is that What's really important from the determinative stance in Pakistani politics is how they interpreted his statements. And they quote him directly in this cable, which is for their own you know, top secret internal distribution. But you know, their own interpretation was also unambiguous of what he was saying. They said they, they interpreted him as making a very clear position on behalf of the U.S. government about the correct configuration of Pakistani politics and how that should exclude Imran Khan. So they acted upon that. And you know, there have been historic parallels to this. If you think of uh, the 1991 Gulf War, when a U.S. diplomat talking to Saddam Hussein gave him some conversation, some instructions or some direction that he interpreted as a green light to take a foreign policy step, which was invading Kuwait, ultimately. You know, it really matters how the message is received. And certainly nothing in the cable suggests that Donald Lu was trying to nuance a statement 
or to leave even that much ambiguity. And ultimately he didn't. And his words very, very plausibly resulted in this chain of events taking place, or at least a chain being completed in which Khan is removed from power. And I also like to say that this removal of Khan from power has triggered a very, very serious political crisis in Pakistan. It's created an economic crisis. You know, Pakistan's already doing very poorly with the war in Ukraine and growth in energy prices like a lot of developing countries. But the combination of those two things, political paralysis with economic chaos, has really created a very, very difficult situation for tens of millions of people uh, in that country who are devoid of effective governance at a time when the economy is worse than it's been in years. Yeah, and let's talk about that briefly. The The fallout from this has included an assassination attempt uh, on Khan, in which he was shot but uh, survived, and an arrest of Khan. He was detained for, I think, four days, during which the country exploded in protests, which the military then responded to by arresting thousands of people, which the, the courts then responded to by releasing those people, which the military responded to by going out and rearresting them on, on different charges. Khan's political party, PTI, is being uh, dismantled through pressure, you know, senior official after senior official resigning after after getting arrested or charged with something. And you and I reported on a truly dystopian, draconian kind of regime of censorship in which uh, Imran Khan's name is not to be mentioned by the news media for the most part. And so you have a situation where there's supposed to be elections coming up and polls show, you know, the most popular politician in Pakistan remains Imran Khan, and he may not have a political party. He may not be free and he may not be on the ballot. There may not even be elections. And as you just said, the U.S. military was just there and said not a word about this. Uh, so what do you think the reaction to the revelation of this uh, cipher will be? And do you see any light at the end, end of this tunnel, or is this just spiraling onward? Yeah, you know, an important thing to always remember, too, is that Pakistan is a country of 250 million people. It's like the fifth or sixth largest country in the world by population. And its economic and political fate is actually quite important to the future of Asia and even the world, especially given its location strategically, its size, and its possession of pretty advanced weaponry, including nuclear weaponry. So... Any event which triggers the chaos we're seeing today should be of deep concern, not just to hundreds of millions of Pakistanis, but pretty much the whole world. I think that, as you've seen over the past year, you know, Pakistan had a very, and still to some degree has a vigorous press, a relatively free press, but that's going away now. The, the military, the Pakistani military, is cracking down on reporters. People have been killed. People have been tens of thousands put in jail, civil society members, supporters of Imran Khan, journalists. And you're seeing a much more authoritarian country come into existence than existed even a few years ago. And the military, which, you know, to some degree was happy playing a behind-the-scenes role, is coming more and more out into the open once again to, say, to show that they really are the final word in Pakistani politics. And, of course, the military is not elected. They have no democratic oversight per se. And they have made an environment in Pakistan now where anyone fears to talk back to them. Anyone fears certainly to contradict them in what they're saying the reality is of the political situation in the country. And Khan himself, after coming to power with the military support some years ago, has now become their number one enemy. He faces a huge raft of political charges, legal charges against him uh, related to his opposition to the military. And this cable seems to validate 
for the most part, his own narrative of what happened in during his own tenure. And it seems to completely contradict what the military has been saying. And also the U.S. government has been saying about what happened between itself and the Pakistani government and military last year. So it's very hard to say what will change going forward, but I think this would likely invigorate Imran Khan supporters. It would likely put the military in a very difficult situation. And they still have a monopoly on violence. It's a very, very large and powerful military and intelligence services. So would this result in their loosening of power or losing power? I think it's hard to say. Pretty much every the major narrative of Pakistani politics over the last year has now been turned on its head to some degree because it seems that judging based on this cable, Imran Khan had very, very good reason to believe that he was targeted by a orchestrator removal of himself in power that was encouraged by a foreign power in the United States and had the consent or encouragement of the Pakistani military for the purposes of rebuilding its own relationship with the U.S. military and government, which is very lucrative financially and politically for various reasons. In response to our story, Pakistani Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif said that if the contents of the document that we released were genuine, its leak was, quote, a massive crime. We also reached out to the State Department with a request for comment. The State Department told us, quote, Nothing in these purported comments shows the United States taking a position on who the leader of Pakistan should be. The State Department said they would not comment on private diplomatic discussions. Last week, State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller was also asked about our reporting. Here's a clip. The cipher cable, supposedly, that's been uh, that's that's been uh, uh, reported. Um, just I know you get you you've had some on record comments on this, but I wanted to ask you about the veracity of, of the the comments. It's obviously a Pakistani document. Does the United States uh, generally think that what was reported there what was that? So a few things. One, um, yes, it's a it's a report reported to be a Pakistani document. I can't speak to whether it is an actual Pakistani document or not. I just simply don't know. Um, with respect to um, uh, the comments that were reported, I'm not going to speak to private diplomatic exchanges other than to say that even if those comments were accurate as reported, um, they in no way show the United States taking a position on who the leader of Pakistan ought to be. We expressed concern uh, privately to the government of Pakistan as we expressed concern publicly about the visit of then Prime Minister Khan to Moscow on the very day of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, uh, We made um, uh, that concern quite clear, but as the former Pakistani ambassador to the United States himself has stated, the allegations that the United States has interfered in internal decisions about the leadership of Pakistan are false. As we've stated, they're false. They've always been false, and they remain false. Just, just to pursue that briefly, uh, the uh, I guess the money quote in that was saying that Pakistan would, or, or that Imran Khan personally would have continued isolation because of his visit to Moscow. Is that? Can you explain that in terms of? I mean, if, if we take that as given that that was an accurate comment, what that meant. So without, without stipulating whether it's an accurate or common or not, if you take all of the comments in context that were reported in that, in that purported cable, I think what they show is the United States government expressing concern about the policy choices that the prime minister was taking. Uh, it is not in any way the, the United States government expressing a preference on who the leadership of Pakistan ought to be. Well, Maz, uh, thanks for joining me over here on Deconstructed, and thanks for having me over there on your new show, uh, Intercepted. My pleasure, my pleasure. Welcome anytime. 
That was my colleague, Murtaza Hussein, and that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of The Intercept. Our producer is Jose Olivares. Our supervising producer is Laura Flynn. The show is mixed by William Stanton. This episode was transcribed by Leonardo Fireman. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Roger Hodge is The Intercept's editor-in-chief, and I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash give. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please go and leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. Go ahead and rate any episode that you want, even if you rated one already. If you want to give us additional feedback, email us at podcast at theintercept.com or at ryan.grim at theintercept.com. Put deconstructed in the subject line, otherwise we might miss your message. Thanks so much, and I'll see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.